Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's now time to enter the Sports Zone with your host, Bob Kemp. Second down and 10 for USC from the UCLA 21. Caleb Williams throws the fade in the corner. Touchdown Trojans! What a play by Kyle Ford! He went up and just took it down! Play action for Thomas. Rising the throw, Kincaid again! And this place erupts! Penix looks to the end zone, and it's caught! Oh, Dunze! Spectacular catch! Given him plenty of room to work. Penix looks him off and then goes there. Mm. 13 yards. First and goals. The ball's on the 10-yard line. Ewers to the end zone. Touchdown! Xavier Worthy! Miguel Castro comes out to start the bottom of the eighth inning. Riley. There it goes. He's done it again. His fourth home run in this series. Well, we said a moment ago, of all the Atlanta hitters, this is the guy you would least like to face. And he just showed us why. That'll be it for Castro. The offense has exploded late. Left-hander Kyle Nelson on to face Matt Olson. Olson gets way under this one. This is an absolute moonshot. They will slug you silly, these Atlanta Braves. Their third homer. And it's 7-5. to five. 3-3 ball game, top of the 10th. 0-2 to Kowser. Swung on, skied ball, left center field. A Rosarena and Siri ranging out and some miscommunication. A Rosarena makes the catch, though. Hicks will come home. It's a sacrifice fly. Colton Kowser gives the Orioles a 4-3 lead in the 10th. 0-2. Lau with a ground ball to second. Frazier, one, Henderson, yes, Enjoy the view from the top at the drop. The Orioles move into sole possession of first place with a 4-3 wild one over the Rays. Let's see if McGriff can keep it going. To center field and deep. Back to the wall is Jordan. It's out of here. We're tied. Welcome to Atlanta, Fred McGriff. Chopper, fair ball, the off-balance ball by Roland. Great play. Off-balance, and he threw a BB over there to third. Fine play by the young man from Jasper, Indiana. Dial 602-260-1060. That's 602-260-1060. Or tweet the show at KDUSAM1060. And now, here's your sports zone guide, Bob Kemp, on KDUSAM1060. Welcome to the Friday, July 21st edition of the Sports Zone. Not just the news and scores, the news and scores with analysis. In today's Sports Zone, right here on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLUX HD 2 100.7, Pac 12 football. Who wins in 2023? University of Texas football. Is it really back this time? The Diamondbacks should Mike Hazen 
uh, fixed the bullpen before August 1st. The first place Orioles, do they need to add starting pitching? Cooperstown weekend. Are Fred McGriff and Scott Rowland really Hall of Famers? And what else caught your eye since our last show? Here's uh, the schedule lineup in uh, the show, which is the most informative sports talk Monday through Friday. In moments, we have the introduction of today's pipeline. 9.15 is the University of Texas back. We'll answer that annual question. Uh, to conclude our college football preview week, uh, we'll talk with Cole Thompson of Longhorns.com. 9.30, it'll be interactive action at 602, 260-1060, and also the local roundup, including a Diamondbacks, uh, some Diamondbacks and Braves analysis from the uh, Thursday Bizarre Game in Atlanta. Then the final segment of the sports zone will be the national roundup. That'll be topped by from the MLB scoreboard from Thursday. Then after the sports, um, it is uh, from 10 to noon. It's the Extra Point hosted by Kayla. We'll have uh, more phone call time and also around the Pac-12 conference, uh, which this season is uh, the Big 12 conference, excuse me, which this season is 14 teams. They went from 10 to 14, and then next year they're going to go back to you know 12. Uh, we'll get into all that at some strategical point, I'm sure. All right, right now, though, on to the pipeline for today. Time for today's pipeline, where the host reveals the hot topics for discussion. Now we start with the KDUS poll question at KDUS1060.com. Today's question is, who wins the Pac-12 in 2023? And we're giving you three option, you, uh, you, options, he tried to say, plural. USC, Utah, or Washington. And Kayla's here and has the early returns. Happy Friday, Bob. The early returns. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I know, it's been a tough week, right? All five days? It's been, it's just, this is torture. <laughs> <laughs> Well, right now here, USC is out in front at 100% of the vote. Wow. Okay. Uh, Utah, the two-time defending champions, getting no love, and Washington was kind of the darling of the conference last year. Yeah, Pac-12 Media Day, uh, they, they call it, it's being called the Pac-12 Media Showcase. It's one day. It's going on. It started uh, earlier this hour in Las Vegas, and I'm watching that uh, when possible here. Uh, you know, Kyle Whittingham just at the podium a few moments ago. Now is uh, a couple of Utah players are up there. So we'll uh, continue to follow that throughout today's uh, sports zone and the extra point. But uh, media day today in Las Vegas, USC, of course, returns Heisman Trophy winner Caleb Williams. Utah has won the last two conference championship games. And uh, Michael Penix bypassed the NFL draft and returned to Washington. Hence the reason I use those three teams. All right, on to today's Twitter poll question. This is, I'm guessing I don't have the, you know, the, the facts to back this up from last year, but I'm thinking we had a very similar question around this time last year. Is Texas really back this time? And Kayla once again has the early returns. That's right. And right now, the 100% love fest continues as no is leading the way at 100% <laughs> of the vote. This is on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. Okay, well, here's some facts that could back up that 100%. Uh, the Longhorns, they have not, uh, they've won double digit games one time since last winning the SE, uh, excuse me, the, uh, winning the Big 12 championship, and they actually went to the BCS championship game. But the last time that happened was in 2009, 
when it was coached by Mac Brown. Uh, that's also the last time that, you know, as I mentioned, that they won the Big 12 when it actually was the Big 12 then. Uh, anyway, since 2009, Texas has been coached by Charlie Strong, Tom Herman, and now Steve Sarkeesian. Sarkeesian, by the way, has never won more than nine games in any season as a head coach, and his teams have never finished in the AP Top 25 in any of those years, whether he was at Washington, USC, or Texas. In addition to the poll question, uh, anything college football discussion strongly encouraged really through January the 8th or 9th. Uh, the college football playoff championship game is on January 8th. All right, back on the local front we go. Uh, the Diamondbacks bullpen did it again after Zach Gallen was perfect through five innings and left with a 4-3 lead through seven. The relief pitching continued its bad season allowing four runs in the eighth inning and two home runs in the 7-5 loss yesterday at Atlanta. Should Diamondbacks general manager Mike Hazen not wait and uh, make, should he not wait before the deadline and add some bullpen arms before the August 1st trade deadline? Meanwhile, spanning the Globe, say hello to the first place Baltimore Orioles. The Orioles have gained six and a half games in the ALA East this month, remember there was you know kind of a short month because the All-Star break, they've added six and a half games. They've now overtaken the Rays for the top spot in the division. Do the now in first place Orioles need to trade for more starting pitching to win the AL East? That's something that I and others have been preaching for since like day one of the season. Meanwhile, the Baseball Hall of Fame expands this weekend. Fred McGriff and Scott Rowland. Two very good players will be inducted on Sunday. Are Fred McGriff and Scott Rowland Hall of Fame worthy? Also, in addition to all these excellent questions and topics, what else caught your eye since our last show? All right, that's the pipeline for today. We'll get to all these tremendous topics and much more during today's sensational radio program. Anything else on your mind falls into the general discussion categories, whether it's from the pipeline or a sports topic on your mind. 602-260-1060, or you can tweet the show at KDUSAM1060 or twitter.com slash kdusam1060. Basically, the only rules are accuracy and objectivity. If you violate those rules or if you're just simply bad, you will be the target of this. Coming up next, Corey, we'll have a news update. That'll be followed by, is Texas back this season? Cole Thompson scheduled to join us from Longhorns Country. Also, uh, once again, at the bottom of the hour to be phone call time, general discussion at 602-260-1060, plus the local roundup, and that will be topped by Thursday Diamondbacks and Braves analysis. We'll break down how bad the Diamondbacks bullpen has been on this road trip. It actually is worse than I thought, uh, which I thought it was really bad to start with, and then... Once I dove into the numbers since last Friday in Toronto, it is really bad. It, like I said, even worse than I thought. So we'll get to those numbers at the bottom of the hour. You're listening to Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and Castlux HD2 100.7. Every Monday night, check out Ray Adams as he hosts the Monday Night Golf and Lifestyle Show from 6 to 7 p.m. here on KDUS AM 1060. 
And welcome back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KISS Lux HD 2 100.7. You're home to the Dan Patrick Show live Monday through Friday from 6 to 9 a.m. Texas has not won the Big 12 since 2009. Is Texas back in 2023? Out to the KDUS hotline and go. And to answer that annual, seemingly annual question, and uh, to preview the Longhorns, we're now joined in the uh, sports zone by Cole Thompson of Longhorns Country. And Cole, immediately I apologize for using, uh, for being actually, I guess, the latest smart-ass jerk uh, to go with the Texas, is Texas back angle. So instead, let me just ask you, what's a blueprint in which Texas will be back in 2023? No, I mean, come on, dude. You're fine with using the Texas back. We all hear it. Everyone has to go ahead and find a way to mess it up, like by week three, because they get an upset win and then they lose to a random Texas Tech team. But I think that's kind of the big point, is that you have to look right now at where Texas is. They have a roster that's more than capable of not just making a big ball title game, they get to a national championship. They feel confident at the quarterback position. Not just to put you got between viewers, but little what they like at the backups, like Arch Manning and Malik Murphy. I mean, I talked to somebody inside the building about a month ago, and they said, keep a close eye on Malik Murphy. There's a reason why he got enough first-team reps during practice this summer, because, I mean, this spring, because they really like what he's able to bring to the table. Uh, offensive line is now a veteran group. It's really stable up front. They love their defensive depth, especially in the secondary. They went and they added Jalen Tabalon from Arkansas. They went and they got uh, Gavin Holmes, the cornerback from Wake Forest. They got a top three recruiting class as well. I mean, Malik Muhammad's a name that is probably not going to garner a ton of attention from people, but it is a name that you probably want to know by the end of this year. He has a very good shot of coming in and being the number two corner. They got to find consistency. That's the main thing. You, you can't go Tuscaloosa in week two and absolutely play your heart out. Maybe walk away with a victory, and three weeks later, find a way to lose to a Kansas State or find a way to lose to a Baylor team. They have to be on their P's and Q's at all times. So whatever you see in week two is what you want to see in week eight. You don't want to see regression when an Iowa State comes to town. You don't want to see you go to Houston because you're coming off a bye week and you were taking the time to reevaluate yourself. You need to have that simple sound, mind, motion, all those little nuances that have really deteriorated Texas for a while because the roster is there. It's in the production and can the time be there. Okay, let's get to the Steve Sarkeesian thing next. Uh, third season with Texas, 13-12 and 12, the first two years, uh, extending his head coaching career from Washington, USC, and Texas. He's had zero 10-1 seasons in all those years, never finished with a team in the top 20 at the end of his season. So how hot is Sark's seat in Austin, and what are your impressions of him after two years with the Longhorns? Uh, quarter than the other side of the pillow. That's how hot his seat is. Because of, <laughs> right now, the only way he's not losing – the only way he's losing his job is he's in the locker room. His ability to recruit and be able to build this roster for the SEC in 2024 will give him a nullification pass if they were to go 8-4, 8-5, 7-5, 9-3 – I'm not saying that the job that he's done has been exceptional, but there has been progression at every single level. In recruiting, Texas last year finished number three. The first year he was there, they finished number 11. Uh, with quarterback position, they weren't able to land consistent five stars. Now they have four, uh, three in the building, and they like Charles Wright. Uh, they continue to really work the transfer portal by kind of instead of taking every player possible, they go with the 
we're going to be selective. We're going to look at our positions. We're not going to overspend. Why you went and got A.D. Mitchell at the wide receiver spot. Why you went and got Gavin Holmes. Why you went and got Jalen Catalan. From an offensive play calling, the run game is going to be set back, but that was always going to happen because you lost both Dean Sean Robinson and Roshan Johnson. But the passing game, they still exist to be a top 10 unit, and on paper, there's really not a reason why they shouldn't. I mean, you have an All-American tight end in Jacadion Sanders. You have an All-American wide receiver in Xavier Worthy, a good spot receiver in Jordan Whittington. I haven't even talked about Isaiah Mayor because if he got hurt last year in fall camp where he missed the entire season, he was an all-mountain West player when he was at Wyoming. So it's hard to say right now that you can put Sark on the hot seat only because of, yeah, the expectations of Texas are influential. But the other thing is that what if a lot of these players came to Texas to play for Sark? And now you go to the SEC. Well, not only is going to lose a ton of players to the transfer portal, but you're also now putting yourself at a disadvantage because of everyone now knows what the expectation is Texas for a first-time coach ever in a new conference. You know, a couple of years ago, I got in an argument with somebody saying, what's the hardest job in the SEC? I said it was Auburn. And the reason it's Auburn is because they are a tier <laughs> two program with tier one expectations. They can go ahead and find ways to get to nine and three, and that's not good enough. As much as I think that Texas wants to be there, they have to get this at least one season in the SEC. It feels like right now Sark's the right guy. I would be very, very shocked if he was not the head coach in 2024. I agree with your Auburn assessment, by the way, so good on that. Um, the 2023 Longhorns, I got 16 returning starters, nine on offense, six on defense, a kicker. But I want to ask first uh, specifically about a player not returning. You mentioned Bijan Robinson. He's a Tucson high school product, so we've been following him for a long time. Uh, over 1,600 yards rushing, 18 rushing touchdowns last year. How do they try to replace him? They have some guys, and I think that's going to be the main thing is it's a running back by committee approach. They do have players they really like. Jonathan Brooks was one player that they said has a little bit of an emulation of Roshan Johnson with the physicality after contact. So I would not be shocked to see him get run to the ground a little bit early on, mainly due to the fact that they're trying to go ahead and fix the offensive personnel however you can. They have a guy named Fabian Red who's a wide receiver type slash running back. I think that's something that you want to monitor because if they want to utilize the Debo Samuel approach, that's probably who you would go to. And they also added in a kid named C.J. Baxter, who was the number two well, running back prospect out of Florida this past year. Number one running back prospect out of Florida, number two running back prospect overall. The kid's already looking like a veteran in practice. The way that he moves, the way that he shuffles, his good footwork, his ability to be able to extend plays out into the second and third level defense. I think that's more so a saying of where you need to work on the defensive side, if I'm being completely real, but there's a way to be able to replace production. And the other way is that also you can pass down more on second and third down. You can not trust the run game. You can kind of have the run to set up the pass, and then from there go ahead and figure things out later. Because that's kind of where you are right now. Last year they were so predicated on the run that we eventually opened up the pass. Now if you pass to open up the run, would be a great deal, I think, for guys like Jonathan, for uh, Jonathan Brooks, for Dan Red, for CJ Baxter. There's a couple of other running backs as well that are going to be in the mix. Cole Thompson of Longhorns Country, currently in the sports zone. All right, Harold with quarterback Quinn Ewers. He had some good moments last season, including Alabama before he got hurt in that game. Some not-so-good moments, including the loss to TCU. So what areas do you think Ewers has improved since the end of last season, and where does he need to show the most pro progression this year? 
Yeah, dude, you're talking to an Alabama alum. We don't mention the Quinn Ewers game because that was a very challenging thing. Um, he's got better with his accuracy. That's definitely a big thing. Uh, when I say accuracy, I mean deep ball accuracy because there was multiple times last year that he had Xavier Worthy winning one-on-one matchups against corners, and he just overthrew him. There was no excuse for it. Now, on the same token, there was the Alabama Bowl game, which a lot of people are turning to as the kind of why was Xavier Worthy acting like he didn't want to beat their game. The kid who had a broken hand in that game, so you can't really make him for trying to make one-handed catches when the other hand literally couldn't hold anything. So that's a big deal. But they really worked hard with uh, A.J. Milby, who is their offensive uh, quarterback coach and the uh, co-offensive coordinator. They've worked really hard on ball placement on deep shots. So I expect this team to be an offense that's going to really work in the middle of the field and get the defense to start fighting. That way they can take a few deep shots down the sidelines every game. They have the wide receiver personnel to do it. I think the confidence as well is really where he's grown. You're seeing a maturation from him. He said at SEC Media Days, part of the things he really wanted to do was lose the beard and lose the disheveled man look because of he's 21. He's about to be 21. He wants to look like he's an adult. He wants to look like somebody that you would trust to not only watch your kids, but somebody that you could watch the offense with. That's really a big step. He cut out all fast food this offseason, and he lost about 21 pounds, and he added about 10 pounds of muscle. So when you look at his body, he should be able to stay in the pocket and withstand those hits a little bit longer. I just look right now at where he is. I think that there's hesitation to go ahead and believe all the first-round hype, hype, trophy, honor, buzz, whatever that is. But there is reason to believe that the productivity is going to take a step forward, as if it does take a step forward, so with the likes of his overall persona, he mentions Walsh probably All right, so let's just imagine if viewers gets off to a slow start, so to speak, uh, does the Arch Manning and Murphy demand from the fan base start? How soon does that uh, kick in? Uh, it kicks in after week two to Alabama, depending on what happens. But I'm going to be completely blunt. I'm, I'm tired of hearing about the Arch Manning. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of hearing about Arch Manning. I'm tired of having to talk about Arch Manning because Arch Manning's not playing this year, unless there's an injury to uh, to Malik Murphy. I know who he is. I know what he is. I know what he does. I know what he needs. He's made it abundantly clear to start teaching that the next guy in line is Malik Murphy. And Malik Murphy is a quarterback that has every intangible that you look for in a passer. He reminds me a lot of Arkansas' KJ Jefferson, if I'm being completely honest. His arm strength is impeccable. He has excellent footwork. You're not asking him to run a lot, but what you are asking him to do is to maneuver outside the pocket and much plays and fold downfield. He's got that physical presence that you really want. He's sturdy lower body. He's got great motion. He's able to turn right to throws and make it look like it's no one's business. He has all the impeccable containers of what you're looking for in a power five quarterback. And he is also one of the highest NIL players in Texas because if they kept him on campus, that way he wouldn't transfer. So, as much as the Arch Manning debate is here, Arch is made for the SEC. He will be brought in when the SEC comes calling him, when the time is right. For now, it's the Malik Murphy show until further notice. Doing respect, letter. The defense uh, last season uh, had some issues stopping the run, 90th in the nation in passing yards allowed per game. You mentioned that they've certainly increased. Uh, certainly the level of talent in some spots. So what are your expectations for that defense this season? 
top 50, I think, is a probably good expectation. They have a good linebacking core. They really like what they have in the new kid, five-star talent, Anthony Hill Jr. They think that he could be an immediate plug-and-play starter with time. Uh, they really think that Jalen Ford, who is the preseason Big 12 defensive player of the year, is going to come out swinging right away. I mean, last season he had the most interceptions by Texas linebackers in South Korea when Derek Johnson was there. Uh, they really, really do like what they have at the front seven. Uh, they love Byron Murphy. They think that they just add in a uh, guy, uh, Trill, uh, Trill Withers. He's a uh, former defensive lineman from Minnesota. Very, very good player. Devondre Sweat's another guy that they think can come in and replace production loss by Alfred Collins. Uh, so they, they really like where they are at the program. I mean, Keontae Coburn, uh, they really like where they are at the program. They think that right now they have good depth. They have good starter mentality, and they have great right for I think would be a competition because if they know that the guys who are in starting roles may end up starting week one, but if they have any bit of regression, the guy waiting in the week is going to take over that week too. Talking University of Texas football, previewing the season with Cole Thompson of Longhorn Country. Texas and Oklahoma leaving the conference after this year uh, for the SEC, as you mentioned a couple of times. Is it make it more difficult this year, week to week, uh, with the Big 12 opponents wanting to beat UT and or uh, U, uh, OU one last time? No, I mean, Texas and Oklahoma have had the target on their back since really the culmination of the Big 12 in 1996. I mean, everyone's literally been gunning for those two because they're the most prominent program. They're the ones that bring in the most money. I mean, if you go back and listen to when they said they were potentially leading the conference in 2021, Everyone and their mother decided to say, well, this conference is not ready to solve. We can't survive without Texas and OU. We can't survive without Texas and Oklahoma's money. We can't be able to keep our funk, keep our lights on if these two programs don't go ahead and sign off on us being here. So they really want to beat Texas and Oklahoma every single year. And the last few years, it's been through before praised by really everyone in the conference besides those in Norman and Austin when you see a Baylor-Oklahoma State Big 12 championship, or you see a TCU-Kansas State Big 12 championship. People are buying into that. They absolutely love the fact that right now there is no questions or qualms of where they are as a team. They know what the identity is and what the actual end game plan is. So I look right now, and I think that they're going to be gunning no matter what protection of Oklahoma. Like, they want to win every single game on the schedule, but it means a little bit more because it always means a little bit more when you take off two flagships. Okay, the 2023 schedule, you know, we've already talked about the Week 2 game in Alabama. The Big 12 starts, uh, you know, the slate, actually the Big 12 slate includes the annual game against OU. That's the first week of October. Then there's consecutive weeks to begin November against Kansas State and TCU. How's Texas stack up against K-State, which did win the Big 12 Conference Championship game last season, and also stack up against TCU, which uh, you know we have, you played in the CFP Championship game a year ago. So how do they stack up with them and, of course, Oklahoma? Everything right now needs to be flipped. It's how do these teams stack up with Texas? Because from a talent standpoint, there is not a better team in the Big 12 than Texas. I mean, the reason why they had 41 first place votes out of 67 was because you look at that roster, top to bottom, find a flaw. I mean, you're really talking about maybe coaching. You're talking about maybe quarterback play. And the good news is that you like that you have depth at quarterback. Kansas State, I think, is going to be a really intriguing team. I had them actually second in my big ball preseason poll because I really thought that what they brought in 
from the likes of the transfer portal and what they were seeing from last year, especially with Will Howard at quarterback, they're going to be in a very good spot to, I think, go close to repeating as Big 12 champions. But I do have questions in the run game. They did add in two running backs to the and which is really good for them. But the other thing is that they have to be able to, I think, understand that the offensive line is a little bit of a step back. You know, they have All-American offensive line with DB. I think they really like what they have also on the defensive front. But they also did lose Felix and Tiki Uzama, who went in the first round of the Kansas Chiefs. TCU got crazy in the transfer portal. They added in four Alabama players, including wide receiver Jojo Earl and Tommy Brockermeyer at offensive tackle. But the real question comes down to how to replace Max Duggan. Because Duggan also wasn't the initial starter last year. When they took on Colorado, Hunter right. Morris won the job. But there was a belief factor that you had with Duggan that people just ran with. And then also, Garrett Riley eventually had the final say, and he said that right now, Doug Reeves has the best chance to win. Well, you also changed up the complete offense because it's no longer Garrett Riley. He's a Clemson. He brought in Kendall Bryles from Arkansas. So the offensive perspective is going to be a little bit different. It still is air raid, but it's not as air raid as you think that probably the Garrett Riley system would be. How does Chandler Morris fit that persona? How does Chandler Morris feel about leading the charge? Maybe there's been conversations to those I've talked to with Fort Worth that said they have two really good young up-and-coming quarterbacks that if Morris does not deliver early, they may pull the plug and try and just go with them and see what they have. It could be a step back here for the CCU. I think that 8-4 is plausible. I don't think that they're going to be repeat Big 12 contenders. I think that Oklahoma has a better shot. You got to realize that Brent Venables isn't on the hot seat, but he has been running his mouth like somebody who had everything handed to him last year and was able to deliver. This sounds like a guy that had 10-plus wins. He he got handed a program that was in the Big 12 title game for almost every single year. Five, six, six, they won six out of the last eight Big 12 titles, and he goes sub-500 for the first time in over three decades. I mean, that's a problem when you have that. So they spent a big time this offseason going to the transfer portal. They brought in Deshaun McCullough from Indiana. Uh, they also feel very confident with their recruiting class. Peyton Bowen's a really good safety five-star talent. They expect him to start right away. So Oklahoma's probably a rebound team, but it's still not the same all those Texas. Okay, last up, uh, the over-under total in uh, you know the, the world, basically. The consensus uh, for Texas uh, this year is 9.5, so Texas over-under 9.5 wins in 2023. Over. I think they are 10. I think that they probably are close to even 11, if I'm being real. Uh, I could see them where they go 10-2 and two on the season. Uh, I definitely think that you're looking right now at a win. If I would be a betting man this morning at Alabama, but they drop a random I think that they are going to beat up on people. Like I think they are going to win games against teams like uh, Kansas State, and then they'll probably beat uh, Houston. But I worry about two games on the schedule. The first one is Texas Tech at the end of the season. That's a game where Joey McGuire is going to have a brand-new, entire defensive front playing at a season cues. That is a very big trap game. And then I also worry about the Houston win. I think that they're going to be coming off the bye week. They're going to have that mm. moment where their bodies are going to be either really relaxed. They have to stay the course. The last thing you can do is have trepidation. I think they finished 10-2 and two on the year. I think 11-1. and one. I think they punched their ticket back to the Big 12 title game the first time since 2018. But I'm not going to say they're going to win the Big 12 title. I have to see what they look like on the field. I've been burned too many times. And as soon as we go to that tech, he's back to go ahead and have that CPSC. Cole, thanks. Uh, it's good talking to you. And um, I'm, if they're that good again, uh, or if they're, that, if they're that good this season, I'm guessing we'll be talking again during the season. Thanks a lot.
Anytime, guys. Cole Thompson of Longhorn Country. Uh, there we go. And uh, we'll get more into the Big 12 uh, with Kayla in the during the extra point from the 10 to noon hour today. That would be two hours, right? 10 to noon hours in the, uh, you know, so, whatever. You get the gist, hopefully. Uh, next segment, phone call time, 602-260-1060. General discussion. Also, today's local roundup. That includes some uh, Diamondbacks and Braves analysis from Thursday, and uh, we dive into some uh, not good stats, even worse than they thought, at least I, worse than I thought, about the Diamondbacks' bullpen on this road trip, uh, which are now 2-4 and four going to Toronto and Atlanta, and everybody's excited that they won a series against the Braves. Well, that's great, but their bullpen was actually bad in two of those games too. Uh, and uh, just since last Friday... Bullpen's been uh, erratic, I think uh, is a kind phrase, before these uh, six games, and uh, they've been awful in these six games. Can Mike Hazen let this continue? You're listening to Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLX HD 2 100.7. HD Radio is here for KDUS AM 1060. Check out your favorite shows and games on 100.7 KSLX HD2. It's time for today's local roundup. Welcome back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLX HD2 100.7. In addition to the local roundup, it's phone call time to the KDUS hotline 602-260-1060. We'll get to the phone lines in just a second here. First up, a uh, little local roundup here, the Diamondbacks and uh, Braves series. Uh, the finale was billed as, uh, you, know, you know, who gets the, to the 12th win first between starter Zach uh, Gallon, starters, Zach Gallon and Spencer Strider. Uh, were, they each had some dominating stretches, but neither was really involved in the decision yesterday, as it turns out, after the home run derby emerged during the last three innings of that game yesterday. Gallon was perfect through the first five innings. Left after seven, he allowed, at that point, three runs on five hits, two homers, uh, zero uh, walks and five strikeouts. Strider completely dominated uh, the Diamondbacks for the first six innings. He struck out a season-high 13 before he didn't get it out in the seventh inning. Gave up four runs and back-to-back home runs to Dominic, uh, Dominic Canzone from The Ohio State University and also Emmanuel Rivera in that inning. But the Diamondbacks' bullpen was awful, in, uh, and it's really been awful in the Diamondbacks' four losses in this road trip. They're now two and four on this road trip. It's been even awful in one of the wins. Uh, actually, in both of the wins, it wasn't good. Uh, you know, they, that bullpen lost the game on Thursday. Miguel Castro allowed a two-run homer to Matt Olson. Kyle Nelson gave up a solo shot to Austin Riley. Arizona's bullpen, as I mentioned, has been awful on this road trip, with the, uh, really with the exception of Kevin Ginkle striking out the side in the ninth inning on Tuesday. Six games on this trip, 15 in the third innings for the bullpen, 20 runs allowed. They've they, It's an earned run average of 11.92, and uh, that bullpen's allowed three home runs in this uh, just on this road trip. So they've got to fix that. I think even before the August 1st deadline, we'll see how it goes. Other One other quick thing here. Uh, we'll get more into the Red Series, which begins tonight during the extra point with Kayla. 
I'm not sure what's up with Merrill Kelly. He was scheduled to throw a simulated game on Thursday. He didn't. And I'm not sure why he didn't. Uh, he's been out uh, since June the 24th with a blood clot in his calf. On to the phone lines, Monroe and Glendale. Hi, Monroe. Happy Friday, Bob. You too, thanks. Looks like you made it through the week. Not yet. I got to get to noon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, every time I hear the question, it was Texas back, I can't help yeah. but think of how do you define back? Now, we know that there are a significant percentage of Texas fans that think it's like the 1970s. So, yeah. <laughs> Put those guys to the side. Uh, having grown up in Austin and understanding the desperation, you know, Texas is essentially a professional team in Austin for all practical purposes. Absolutely. And I can very easily see someone saying, we got a quarterback. We're back. Very got three, got th- got three guys, three quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, or now we're going to win double-digit games. We're back. But, but I, I, I don't think that when they say we're back, they think we're going to vie for the uh, national championship. I, I know there are some who do. I know they yeah. think that they're still going to hand the ball off to Earl Campbell or Ricky Williams or B. B. John Robinson. Dijon, yeah, I I know it. I know they think Michael Griffin's still in the backfield in the defense. I know it, but, uh, you know, Jim Bertelson is still running the wishbone. Ted Ted Coy back in the 60s or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, but I, I, I genuinely believe that. They are in for a hard road just because they moved to the SEC. Uh, well, how about same... this year, though? How, what can they do? They win the, the they haven't won the Big Twelve since two thousand and nine. They've only won ten games or more once since then. Do they get to ten wins and win the Big Twelve this year? I am a naysayer only because I want to see consistency out of them. I I don't care who the coach is; they seem to be on this roller coaster ride and. And it tends to happen when they meet Oklahoma, Iowa State, or Kansas State. Somewhere in there, they tend to hit this curb or this bump in the road where they they take a two- or three-game slide. And and until I can see them get past that, I'm going to be a naysayer. And I say, hey, they could win nine, maybe, maybe. But I'm more like seven, seven or eight, I think that's where they are. And I didn't even know. Until your guest said so, that Sarkeesian has only won like double-digit games once or something like. What do you guys say that? Right. No, I said I, that. I, yeah, he's only once in his career has he won double-digit games, whether he's at Washington, SC, or Texas, and he's never had a team not once finish the AP poll in the top twenty. Never. Yeah, yeah, and 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 to me that means something because it's a. It, you can't say it's not talent because he had plenty of years to build a team. You can't, yeah. you know, there's there's plenty of opportunities to come up with a different, you know, schematics and coaching strategy and still not do it. I, I That even added more more skepticism to my mind. Uh, I, I, I hope okay. for, the sake, for, the, for the sake of the city <laughs> that they do something. Uh, I think it's good for college football. Texas is good. I mean, I don't like to come back here every you know, July and say, is Texas back? And this is like an annual question. 
and it's been yeah, an annual yeah. question for a, it's been the annual question for a decade or longer. Sure. So sure, I'm tired. Sure. I'm tired of talking about it. I mean, you know, I'm sure my guests and uh, are tired of hearing about it, but it has to be that that has to be the approach at this point. Monroe, yeah, I, I appreciate it as always. Thanks. I'm glad you made it through Friday. <laughs> yep. Bye. All right. Coming up next, we have a news update with Corey. That'll be followed by the conclusion of today's show with the National Roundup. That'll include some MLB scoreboard things that caught my attention from yesterday. The first place Baltimore Orioles. They kind of tried to lose that game last night at uh, Tampa, but Tampa also kicked it around a little bit, and uh, the Orioles escaped in 10 innings. And the Orioles now in first place, the first of that four-game series in uh, St. Pete, um, which is an interesting thing in itself. The uh, lack of attendance in St. Pete is scary. Having actually, I'm familiar with that area, having been there for the Super Bowl, and it is a pain in the ass to get from Tampa to St. Pete. Totally understand, but there should be more than 20,000 fans in the ballpark for a first-place showdown. Need social information about KDUS AM 1060? Try KDUS1060.com at KDUS AM 1060 on Twitter and Facebook.com slash KDUS AM 1060. It's time for today's National Roundup. Welcome back. Final segment of today's Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLX HD2 100.7. And let's get right to the MLB scoreboard from yesterday. Obviously, number one on the list, the Orioles. And they may not need to add starting pitching. Uh, Colton Kowser, a sacrifice fly in the ninth, uh, the 10th inning, excuse me, as the Orioles beat the Rays 4-3. That was the first of their four-game series between the top two teams. Uh, really in the American League, let alone the American League East. Uh, the Orioles, uh, they were actually six and a half games behind at the start of this month in July. They now have a one-game lead after last night's victory. Tampa's lost five straight. Uh, it is uh, Tampa's tied with Pittsburgh for the worst record in baseball in the month of July at 3-12. and 12. The announced crowd last night, 20,203. Uh, Tampa is for the season averaging 17,849 at home. They're one of the most fun teams in baseball to watch. And until the last couple of days, they were, you know, really, I guess they got overpassed by the Braves earlier. But you know, since day one of the season, they've had, you know, some of the best stats and record and so forth. And in fact, they finally got to 900,000 at home attendance for the season last night in Tampa, St. Pete, actually the stadiums in St. Pete, only Detroit, Kansas City, Miami, and Oakland have had worse attendance so far this year than they've, you know, until last night, first place Tampa Bay Rays. Tonight, game two of this series, Kyle Bradish, six and four against uh, Zach Eflin, who has really been a, you know, saved the rotation, the injured rotation of the Rays. Eflin is 10 and five so far this season. Also yesterday, uh, Corbin Burns resembled the 2021 Cy Young Award winner. Now, remember Burns last week said that he's been told by the Brewers he's not going to be traded this season. Uh, There's been talk about that since uh, spring training when he and the Brewers had some contract issues. Uh, They they still have those, but he says he's been told he's not going to get traded. He gave up two hits and uh, struck out 10 in eight innings yesterday as he completely dominated the Phillies. That was a four-nothing victory. 
Uh, so the Brewers conclude their road trip. They were really good on this trip. They obviously swept the Reds over the weekend, and they won two, three, two out of three at uh, at Philadelphia. So a great road, road trip for them. Now they go home, and they face Atlanta. Uh, tonight uh, it's uh, Freddie Peralta, who has been much better of late, but on the season still has a 641 run average and a 6-7 and seven record. Not good for a first-place team. Mike Soroka goes for the Braves. He's struggled since he's come back, and you might expect that. He had consecutive years he missed with two different Achilles tendon situations. Uh, he's 1-1 one one with a 540 run average this season. All right, quickly, a couple other um, notes here. Uh, let's go with this, some trade deadline grapevine. Let me just uh, wrap up with this uh, for the segment and for the sports zone. Uh, the, the Yankees are interested in uh, trading for Cubs outfielder and Valley product Cody Bellinger. Uh, Bellinger's left-handed bat would certainly be a really nice fit with the short uh, right field porch at Yankee Stadium. And also the Astros and the Rays are teams that are reportedly targeting Tigers starting pitcher Michael Lorenzen. All right, that's it for the Sports Zone for today. Stay tuned. The Extra Point with Kayla coming up next. We will have plenty more on the Big 12 Conference as we preview Texas in this segment. Final year of uh, Texas and OU in the Big 12. There's now 14 teams in the Big 12. We'll also have more phone call time in the uh, next two hours. 602-260-1060. This has been the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp. Thank you very much for listening. 